Worky Ticket Theatre is proud to present our bonus episodes to complete Series 1 of the Woman Up podcast. This includes four real-life interviews with some of the women who inspired our audio plays. Episode 6, Lexi and Leslie. These podcasts contain adult themes and some strong language. So, uh, Lexi, we have known each other for how long now? How, how long do you reckon? Three, four years. We've started, yeah. <laughs> but you don't have to do a posh voice. You can just talk in your normal voice, right? <laughs> how long do you reckon we've known each other for? Oh, didn't put my phone on silent. What a terrible... Sacked. Put, Sacked from the terrible. <laughs> I'm just trying to make you feel relaxed. I left that on on purpose. <laughs> um, about four years. About four years, yeah. So um, I come and work in the college where you that you attend and um, you keep trying to get rid of us and I keep boomeranging back. Last I checked, I was one of the ones that helped you boomerang back. <laughs> yeah, you time. were. <laughs> last time I nearly left, Lexi got us back, so <laughs> that was fabulous. So you know that I've got a massive soft spot for you because I think you're absolutely brilliant. And I think... I thought it was just because you're as crazy as I am. Well, it's similar. Yeah, it is. We are... I think we've, we've got a similar sense of humour, haven't we? But um, I know that when this whole um, pandemic started, I was really concerned about a few of the learners here but you in particular I remember emailing um Sarah and Karen and you know checking in on you a lot so I thought you'd be a brilliant person to interview for this podcast to hear about a, just a different perspective and a different experience so are you happy to tell us a little bit about the different um conditions and things that you live with daily uh yeah okay um so I have autism, mm-hmm. um, learning difficulties, one of which is Erlen syndrome, mm-hmm. which is like there's not much kind of knowledge around that yet. It was thought to just be an issue with like requiring a coloured overlay on top of things yeah. to break up writing, but they're starting to understand that actually it just affects all of kind of visual processing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have mental health, so I have post-traumatic stress disorder, um, chronic depression and anxiety. Yeah. So you do amazingly to keep going like you do every day, coming in here, dealing with all of those um, those things. Um, obviously, even before COVID came along, they were probably difficult enough to all deal with in conjunction. Can you tell us a little bit about where you were living before COVID hit and what your situation was like then? Uh, yeah, so actually, just um, just over a week before um, COVID hit, I was in the process of moving. Right. Um, and I actually got settled into my new accommodation just four days before. Right. So. Um, you... So I was living in a shared accommodation. Yeah. Um, with two other girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and support workers coming in every single morning for three hours, and then like another hour or two for the other girls as well. Yeah. Um, and then I moved to my own flat literally four days before everything kind of closed. Yeah. And you weren't... Were you keen on moving to your own space? Uh, no, I was, like... It was something that I'd always talked about, like, quite positively about, but in my head, like, quite far off in the future. Yeah. Um, and kind of with a lot more planning involved. 
but um, I didn't really have the best kind of like working relationship with me social worker, like didn't get on with her great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, maybe just like miscommunication and maybe just mm-hmm. lack of knowledge mm-hmm. um, around kind of autism um, and she didn't really know how to go about the whole process. She thought just, you might just adjust to it like that. I think she kind of went down the the route of how a lot of people think to deal with people with mental health, which is kind of drop them in it and then put the support there to help the situation. Because mm. they often kind of have the assumption across the board that if you give somebody with mental health time to process something, you're giving them time to get more worried right? and kind of build up the barriers to mm-hmm. prevent it happening. Yeah. Whereas that can be the case, but with autism, that time to process it is crucial. So important. Like, it's the difference between the person actually wanting that thing to work and not. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, it kind of just fell through. Um, and one minute I was like, it might be happening, and the next minute I was like, literally being told that I could pick up my keys in a couple of days yeah. um, and to start moving my stuff. So you went from a really structured kind of environment where you were coming to college, you know, you've got a pretty good support network here at college, haven't you? And then yeah. you, you had the two girls who you were living with mm-hmm. um, and then the support coming in every day. Yeah. And then suddenly, less than a week later, it looks like what? What's the new setup? What was the new setup then? Um, a block of 28 flats. Um, so my own contained flat within that building. Mm-hmm. Um, one bedroom, joined kitchen, living room and a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Like, really nice flats and everything, yeah. but just no kind of confirmation on what support I was given, mm-hmm. what my official hours were, who was going to be providing them. Um, and literally just as we were going to start having those talks, um, I was informed that actually the company that was supporting me would not be able to come in at all. They were being completely withdrawn um, due to COVID. Um, and the situation was you couldn't even, like... You didn't even feel like you could get angry at people, like, because you almost felt like it wasn't your right to get angry at people because how yes. could you tell them to put themselves at risk? Yeah. But at the same time, I was in this flat. I'd been in there all but four days... Couldn't actually remember my way to all of the access point, the in and out points. Yeah. Like there's three different entry points, and I didn't know all of them. Um, it's like the block of flats has been built on a hill, so it's a like the the way the complex works is you've got three entrances that take different you out levels. onto level streets. Yeah. And I was like, well, how do I get to the main entrance? That's not oh. going to take me to a cul-de-sac where I'm going to have to go down a load of cobble alleys to find my way out. Yeah. And in terms of, like, practical um, help, so knowing actually where you were geographically and where to get to shops, and did you feel safe to go to shops? Well, I don't don't really independently go out. Mm -hmm. Um, I do venture out sometimes during the night. Um, I have insomnia, so Mm -hmm. sometimes I will catch a taxi to a local Asda, Mm -hmm. um, more out of boredom than anything. Yeah. Um, but I don't really go out during the day because it's too easy to get overwhelmed. So were they still practically supporting you in terms of 
your food shopping and, and essential no. trips out? Nothing? No, I literally, I just got a, a phone call. Not even somebody come to the door. I literally got a phone call um, telling me that it's all they could do was call and see if I was okay. And when I said to them, how do I go shopping? They said, well, somebody could talk me through making a list. Um, and then I said, well, how do I put my washing machine on? And they said, well, somebody could talk me through how to do that. And they said, well, problem is I can't see the stuff on the, the washing machine. Um, like, as best as what I can see, there's a circular dial. There's writing around it, which I can't see, um, which is very common with Erlen syndrome, not being able to see something in a mm -hmm. round form. So, like, clocks, things like that are kind of a no-no. Um, so, yeah, they and I got on really well, still do, with a lot of the staff. So I was like... The staff in the supported accommodation? Yeah, because yeah. Uh, two of them were the same staff that had worked with me at the previous. And what did they... Were they supposed to call in daily or...? Uh, they were... So at this new place, the, the hours were to be decided, but when they were told to back off, is all they were told themselves was that they could not come anywhere near the property. Mm. It's all they could do was call us. So... I know that you've got a brilliant support network here of mm -hmm. um, of other largely female staff here yeah. who've been fantastic for you, I think, mm -hmm. haven't they, since you very first started coming here. Did they step in and, and how did they step, step in then? So um, within the same day of finding that out, I was... Um, for want of a better word, losing my mind. Yeah. Um, I was just, I was all over the place. I was panicking. Um, I have a habit of kind of famping everything up to worst case scenario, mm -hmm. end of the world sort of situation. So I was calling and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to be able to have any clean clothes. I'm not going to be able to cook. You know, I, th I think it felt like the end of the world for a lot of people who were in much more comfortable setups than you were in. Yeah, uh, so it I think just that's felt like outside not was irrational. chaos and in your Absolutely. own home was chaos. Mm -hmm. So it was like, well, hang on a minute. There's <laughs> I have absolutely no idea where to start. Yeah. Um, and I've got some really great um, people around me that uh, work at this college mm -hmm. um, that kind of said, look, don't worry about the funding, don't worry about that, we'll support you. We'll get in touch with social services, we'll let them know what's what and, you know, work out the funding at a later date. Yeah. But right now, we'll do whatever we can. Yeah. And um, before I knew it, I had 12, if not more, but I think like a regular sort of 12 hours um, where people were coming in to support me kind of off their own backs, if you like. Yeah. Um, the company kind of just decided to help. Okay. And in terms of kind of practical support, what did that look like? What were they coming in to, to help you with? Um, so I had um, a couple of different uh, supports from the college, um, two being female yeah. um, and actually one being a male support worker. Yeah. Um, and I got on with all three of them, absolutely great. Um, and I was getting help to go shopping to collect my medication. Mm -hmm. Um, I was getting my medication from a new pharmacist and they had also just found out they could no longer separate medication into blister packs for you. 
So <laughs> the first time that we went, they just gave me a load of boxes and um, were like, so <sighs> when do we take to all of this? Um, and so we bought a kind of cheap um, pill put your own set thing, up yeah. weekly pillbox. Um, and it was kind of blind leading the blind, but we kind of worked <laughs> together just to figure out um, what days to put everything in on, uh, what times of the day. Yeah. Um, stuck some coloured dots on them just yeah. to recreate kind of what the blister pack used to look like. Yeah. So I had support with that. Um, bills. I'd been obviously just moved into a new place. Mm-hmm. Didn't have any of my bill cards. Didn't have any idea what even electric company I was with. Yeah. Um, just no idea kind of where anything was going to. And it was just kind of starting from scratch with everything. Yeah. And... How did you find the, you know, some people say that the lockdown days went really, really quickly for them. You know, they might have sat and binge watched something or they went on really long walks and found a new little routine because of part of your mental health is that you don't sleep very well. Mm-hmm. I wondered what the, those days in lockdown felt like for you. Do you know, after the initial shock of everything, of moving into my new place... Um, getting support from the college. Um, if anything, the the first lockdown. Um, I don't know if it was just the relief of getting support finally by people that were specifically trained in autism, mm-hmm. rather than the support I'd had the last the previous two years from people primarily trained in mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not. Um, minimising anything that they did because I did meet some absolutely great people yeah. from my previous support team. Yeah. Um, but this support was better in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of combined with almost less pressure in the world to kind of less expectations for people to do much. Um, the first lockdown, to me, just felt a bit hazy of anything yeah. just kind of time just kind of rolled um if if you had asked me what day it was I would have never been able to tell you yeah um but after the first probably two three weeks of kind of the initial shocks and everything I, I don't really have any complaints about the way things went from there that's great um you know it kind of just settled into its own pattern yeah I think you hear that a lot about um, a lot with teenagers as well, you know, who maybe had struggled with going to school or going to college and then all of a sudden, that, like you say, that pressure was just taken off and it almost allows you to kind of think about the the, the smaller things yeah. in life, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, I really love my routines. Um, I love kind of the more that I've got to feel like an element of purpose in my life, the better I feel about myself. Yeah. Um, but it was like it was just a different way to doing anything and also there was oh I don't know how to say it without kind of sounding selfish in a way but there was almost um, a relief that everybody was on the same level for once oh absolutely like often when you have mental health and things like that you feel constantly like a walking outsider even when you've got so much support around you you feel like the person that's always noticeably got an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but suddenly the whole world was on an even keel. Yeah. 
we were all... As, Brigging it. Yeah, and we were all <laughs> completely new to the situation, completely thrown in. Yeah. And there was a sense of community in that. I mean, I've never been the sort to randomly kind of hang out my window and say hey to neighbours and stuff yeah. like that. But, you know, going out for the clap for carers. Yeah. And just the people always asking if you were okay, people always offering, do you need a toilet roll? Yeah. Do you need the basics? Like there People was, just smiled and said hello to each other more in the street, even when you were out for a Yeah, walk, there was just a completely different atmosphere. Yeah. Like, there was everything just felt more together mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, in the first lockdown, specifically, that was kind of my sort of feelings on it all, was just kind of... We all stuck together. Yeah, yeah. And whatever was going on, we were kind of all just it was taking a, it at pace. Yeah, it was a, a bit of a leveller, wasn't it, mm-hmm. for, for everybody? Um, I'm quite interested in hearing um, what you think might be the experience, though, for somebody, say, who was in your situation, mm-hmm. who had, you know, some complex needs that they need help with and didn't have a place like this college where people go the extra mile and will do things for you. Yeah. Do you think the mental health service could have picked up and met those needs? My overall kind of experiences of the mental health service pre-COVID were never that positive. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's always been more people that needed help than there ever was of those to give the help. Yeah. Um, the, The balance was never there. The resources have never been there. The money's never been there. Yeah. But during kind of, you know, the first kind of stages of COVID, also with the fact that I moved into this new building um, where a lot of people had mental health, needed support, things like that, um, I kind of actually got me kind of first insight of what it's like for people that don't have these places. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually without saying any names or disclosing anything like that, I actually had a couple of conversations with a support worker who was under the impression that these people were already isolated. So really, why would this bother them? And, you know, you you had these people that... They weren't isolated by choice. People with mental health... None of them choose to coop up in a in a it's it's a coping strategy. Absolutely. It's a it's a safety net, it's a it's a way of not being a burden. Mm-hmm. It's a way of dealing without being, getting picked up and told that you might need to go into hospital or you might need to be sectioned, you might need to come up to a drop in weekly that you ne- probably don't want to do. Yeah. So they isolate, they box themselves up and wait. And usually that's somebody coming in and giving them the nag to kind of go out. Yeah. Or or eat or get in the shower. Is actually their light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. That weekly glimmer of hope. And that was all taken away. Mm -hmm. That was gone. There was no weekly glimmer. There was no... No one telling them when it was going to end. A lot of these people didn't watch news, didn't keep up to date with things that were going on, mm-hmm. so really just had no idea of what was happening. 
and I do remember seeing a couple of people that just kind of looked like walking ghosts. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd see people kind of pop to the side entrance of the building and stand at the tip of the garden and then walk back in. They just look like a shell of a person. And do you think that things are returning anywhere to what they were pre-COVID in terms of people getting more support? Um, the company that um, had withdrawn um, that I get support from have come back. Right. Um, mental health services have started seeing face-to-face again. Um, but really, re- saying that it's returned to how it was before COVID is not really that big of a compliment. Exactly. Yeah. Because before COVID, it wasn't all that great. Yeah. Um, and I don't know a time personally where it ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still a long way off. And a lot of the problem now is that those that are left are so deflated and so overworked and losing those last bits of passion for the job that they've got. Yeah. The the help that is there just feels like you're an inconvenience to the person giving it. Which I'm sure to a lot of them, mm-hmm. it, that, that's not how they would want to make you feel. Um, Probably not, but... But it comes out They're that only way. human and we're yeah. only human. Well, I think the, the other thing... Thinking about it from the aspect of um, specifically women, you know, most of those social workers, carers, a large proportion of them are women, yeah. and it might well have been that they've also been trying to homeschool kids. You know, we know that in a lot of the cases, maybe the mums have been on their own, maybe the dads are the ones who've done the jobs that have been more practical, hands on, especially in this second lockdown, I think, where. You know, a lot more jobs were classed as key workers. Mm-hmm. So all the blokes who worked in construction and who worked in, you know, on buses and trains and the trades went back out, and possibly some of those female females who were in the more traditionally caring roles were trying to to meet the needs of their clients whilst also potentially oh, juggling yeah. a lot at home. The other, the other problem is is the system they work in. Mm-hmm. It, a lot of people have left. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are no longer in the positions they were in. You said something really interesting about South Tyneside earlier. Can you remember? Yeah, the as far as I'm aware, we currently have one qualified social worker in the mental health team in the South Tyneside. Um, and from only from my experience alone. Um, since lockdown, I had two new social workers that have both left. And that is just since the first March lockdown. It gives you an idea of the strain that yeah. A, the service is under, but that B, the, the social workers themselves, I guess, mm-hmm. must be under. I mean, I've, I've been lucky in the re- respect that I have now got a CPN that is... What's a CPN? Um, stands for... Community psychiatric nurse. That wasn't like a quiz question, by the way. It was just in case people listening didn't know what CPN was. No problem. I was was trying to remember the first word. I think they were initially clinical psychiatric nurses, and now they're community Community psychiatric nurses. And 
I've been lucky that I've actually I've got a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've had a couple of decent ones. Yeah. And I've now got one that you know I, I feel like might actually stick around. Oh, brilliant! Because um, I've had gone through quite a few of them. <laughs> um, hard not to take it personally sometimes, <laughs> but um, I think I'm up to me sixth or seventh, and um, I'm quite settled with this one. Good. She's very good at her job. Yeah. Um. So I've had some kind of um what's the word routine and dependency uh like structure yeah. with this cpn now um and even during the lockdown um she made the calls you know she she offered the the highest level that she could offer from her end Brilliant. um which i definitely appreciated yeah um but just as much as i'm sure they would agree during lockdown they were told they couldn't do face-to-face contact and it's almost impossible to assess somebody's mental health over the phone absolutely you know um one of the key things kind of that you could put across the board in mental health regardless to what condition you might have one key thing is we can mimic (laughs) um and 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 everybody does it whether you've got a diagnosis or not whether you've had you know a glimmer of mental health or a lifelong experience we all can mimic feeling okay put on our best selves yeah we can all make ourselves sound okay so to assess somebody's mental well-being especially somebody that's reluctant to tell somebody else Mm. when they need help it's it's almost impossible to do it over the phone yeah so when they did start restart face to face and everything I think they've just been playing catch-up on themselves, you know, finding out all these people that they've spoken to that seemed okay, but were anything but okay. And are falling between the cracks for quite a long time. Yeah. Do you know how the two girls who you used to live with got on? Um, I know how one of them got on more than the other, Mm -hmm. um, because one went to a higher level of support, like almost... Um, I think just like a step down from residential, so quite similar to a residential setup. Um, and then last I heard, that lady was doing absolutely fantastic. Oh, She'd found somewhere that was ideal for her. Like, the she should have never really been in the lower end mm-hmm. support. Um, so it's great that she's gone back to that. And um, I'm actually fortunate enough that one of the girls I lived with lives in the flat upstairs to me. Yeah. And we've actually remained friends. Good. Um, and she's a really fantastic girl. and But also one of these that never complains. You know, if something was bothering her, you would never know. You would never know. Um, she does her best to kind of keep up beating that. Um, she was affected in regards to being able to see her kids and things like that during um, the lockdown because both of her kids are with other family members. Um, and she's got very good connections with them um like she's, you weren't allowed to go in a, exactly. into a house that you didn't live in so. yeah even if you had a setup like that mm-hmm. um which i just i can't imagine i really can't like that's to me that would be like you know dangling something that means everything at yeah. the end of a fishing rod and telling yeah. you that you, you, you have can't to have stay it. at the other yeah. end yeah um but she coped amazingly with it um, 
she also, like myself, um, I have OCD tendencies um, and she has battled on and off with OCD. Mm. So being told that, almost being told that all that cleaning that you were doing for your whole life, you know, washing your hands religiously, checking door handles, stuff like that, suddenly there was a reason. <laughs> suddenly yeah. everybody had to do it. So I think people with OCD kind of went the next level up. Um, oh, I thought you might have been going to say there that you went, well, <laughs> we were right all along, you see. No, well, it made you made you more... We quite often think that anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you're a bit of a germaphobe, you kind of, quite often walk around and think, you know, you. some people would just wish they were more like us yeah. if they got, <laughs> well, they got poorly. I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the stats are on OCD in a year's time. Oh, so. I definitely think that uh, anybody that's maybe been tipping the, the OCD yeah. is now going to be in the well, I think actual throes of it. Yeah, and, and in all aspects of the mental health service, you're probably going to see that because people ha who had borderline anxiety have that may well tipped. have crept up and, yeah. you know, people who had agoraphobic tendencies, that'll have all yeah. crept up. And It's like with any mental health, if you're, if you're thrown into a situation that is going to escalate that mm -hmm. condition... Um, the longer you're in that situation, the more likely that you're going to move up to that level yeah. within your mental health mm -hmm. and probably stick there for quite some time. Yeah. And uh, I think, like, I also know somebody with agoraphobic sort of behaviours and I think that this has maybe been too much of a godsend for them, not having to go out. Yeah. And now suddenly, um, you know... Regardless of whether the whole world's vaccinated, they may just stay in for good now. Yeah. Um, and, well, I don't think God sends the right sort of phrase. Um, it I think gave them a, like, a viable reason, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, almost like, yeah, almost telling somebody, giving somebody the okay yeah, yeah. to uh, act upon those sort of feelings. Yeah. yeah. Like, they made them seem a lot more rational. Exactly, perhaps, yeah. So I think we've talked about the good things that came out of it, and I love the fact that you felt like you had like a really good community um, around you, both from here and to a certain extent in your building as well. Any other good things that you can take away from it? It's hard, I think, but... Uh, yeah, good-wise, actually, um, I've always struggled a lot with kind of... Um, healthy in my weight, uh, issues like that. Um, and suddenly every activity was an outdoor-based one. Yeah. Um, which was kind of heaven for somebody like me. You know, I I need support to go out, mm -hmm. but the whole world is going out. Yeah. So there was a lot more opportunity that and a lot more people that were like, oh, I'll take you for a walk. Yeah. Suddenly I was in my element. Um, I had a neighbour um, who was actually linked to the college that yeah. I go to. Um, that was like, oh, seven o'clock in the morning, let's go for walks. <laughs> so we were doing uh, routes along the river and everything. I was just in my element with oh, that. That's great. Um, so that was definitely a positive to come out of it. Yeah. Um, also, big parts of autism is kind of like sensory overload and wanting people to keep a distance and stuff like that. Um, so the the idea that it was compulsory for everybody, I can't deny that I was having a good giggle seeing people 
line up and have to space out as much as I always wish they had. And watching the huggers like me have to sit on their hands. Yeah, yeah, it was um, a bit of a relief almost, you know, going to shops and stuff like that and less people in them. Yeah. Um, everything was kind of more routine and yeah. rigid. Yeah, Um so I was kind of... Do you like of, the one-way systems in the, in the yeah, co-op and things? Um, although, I have to admit, I've definitely gone up the wrong arrows a few times. Every, every time. <laughs> every time for me. But um, Always getting told off. More than that, I think, was just the kind of... More people were on foot, less traffic was mm-hmm. on the road, and everybody was spacing out. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. I think some of that will definitely hang around for quite a while so you might get to keep a bit of yeah i've got a joke with some of my friends that um covid has made it that they won't be able to hug me for the next 10 years (laughs) so i'm hoping that i yeah i'm I'm hoping that i can roll with that whole space in the queues thing you know you stand behind you're like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I kind of like that whole excuse me you're a bit too close oh i quite like the little elbow bump, bump with a stranger from the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> and there's me just thinking it's typical of people to still come up with a way that you have to greet. Yeah. It involves some form of physical contact. <laughs> yeah, Couldn't have been one. no physical contact. It had to be, okay, you can't shake hands, so Little we'll switch bump. it to an elbow bump. So, right back to where we started, I think you're fabulous. You know that. I obviously am really biased and just think that you <laughs> can go on and achieve loads of things despite all of the difficulties that you've come up against what are your have you got any specific hopes for the future or ways that you hope that you might feel in the future things that you want to achieve Mm. I think my my hopes would probably be around some miracle that the system will improve Mm -hmm. um you know kind of in autism and mental health alike um hoping that there's kind of going to continue to be a community out there for people that battle with one or the other or both yeah. um and just enjoying things that I didn't think were that important before maybe yeah go out on more walks um soak up every bit of the weather I can yeah and um, stay well oh yeah definitely um it is kind of that saying of, like, you know, things like this, it just changes your mindset of what's important, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, it just, uh, the little things. Enjoy the little things. Yeah. All the little stuff. Definitely. No big goals, just the little stuff. Well, sometimes the little steps are, you know, more achievable, aren't they? You know. Yeah, definitely. And they all, they all add up. I know we've talked in the past about um, go, thinking about kind of the that miracle in the way that the service works we've talked a lot about how someone like you who is so able and bright and sharp but you're kind of constrained by this system because you absolutely could work and do work um but could work more and go on to to big things but you then would be less eligible for support which you need for your mental health and that yeah, the that system cycle. is very much determined by you're either too unwell or not unwell enough. Yeah. Um, you know, people often sing the phrase of person-centred. Um, 
but without swearing or anything. It's really not very true. You can swear. Well, it, it's it's a load of bull then. <laughs> you know, it's just it's it's not very true. The system isn't person centered. It's very much stereotyped into sections. Yeah. And if you don't fall well into one of those sections, you know, if you, which, in my opinion, almost everyone takes elements from each section. Absolutely. I don't think anybody falls into just one. Mm-hmm. But if you don't fall, like, I talk well. So I'm often told really? by <laughs> <laughs> I'm often told by people in the social services system, mental health services system, you know, you may have autism but you talk really well. So you can't need all that much support. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. You do so with PTSD and yeah. things that you need the support for. In autism, you know, uh, a lot of, in my experience, a lot of my friends who have autism and myself, we can talk. Absolutely. We can all talk well. Yeah. yeah. Not everybody with autism is either mute mm-hmm. or high function the genius. Yeah. You know, we don't fit into one of those ends. Yeah. Most of us are somewhere blotted around in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the system isn't built for us yet. Yeah. Not it's people built for with autism. The two extremes. Yeah. And it, also in mental health, it's bought, built for the two extremes. Mm-hmm. It, it's always determined on a progress rate, how quickly you get better, the steps that they think you should be making, mm-hmm. not the little steps that you may be making that they're not seeing. Yeah. And there's often that worry as well of, you know, if you if you progress like you want to, if you go on to do the things that you yeah. desperately want to do... Will they suddenly turn around and go, well, actually, you don't need yeah, help. You're too able now. Like, yeah. I may go and do my volunteer job and work in a cafe and be around an amazing community, but that doesn't mean that I can go home and turn my washing machine on. Yeah. You know, or that doesn't mean that I will start going to Asda at 12 o'clock during the day and doing a full shot by myself. Yeah. The. And it doesn't mean that you won't go back over and have those bad episodes exactly either. and the the support needs to be there and it needs to be there with no strings attached mm-hmm. it needs to be there without people turning around and saying well you know if you go so far we pull it all away mm-hmm. or actually if you get worse we move you into this and cut off all of your mm-hmm. independence yeah the the system's flawed yeah and it it's that saying, you're damned if you do and damned if you mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. So much applies to the social services and mental health systems and even the LD support systems. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to make goals when you're defined by yeah. that, you know, when you're defined by almost waking up every day and hoping and holding on for dear life to the support you've got. Yeah. Um, I find it very difficult to want to progress um, because there's always such anxiety attached to it and such worry. Yeah. I think, you know, as well, because of the support you've got outside of those services, you know, through college and through all these great friends that you've made, Mm -hmm. um, hopefully you will keep 
progressing in whatever way, whatever progress looks like to you, um, without kind of them needing to be involved in that too much. You know, you could all all of these kind of social progressions that you're making are yeah hugely important as well, aren't they? Oh, definitely. Um, and I am lucky. I'm one of the lucky ones that has so many people around me that sees every bit of progression I make, whether it be something so small that I myself don't even notice. Joining in with Zumba. Yeah. After saying you'd never join in with Zumba ever in your life. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Which I... Now I'm actually looking for a group my own today. She loves what Zumba happened? now. What happened, honestly? <laughs> she loves Zumba. Oh, that was mint. You were absolutely brilliant. Thank you very, 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 very much for talking to us. Wise and insightful, always. <laughs> Wise beyond your years. Thank you, Lex. So thank you very, very much for letting us come Never. and have a chat with you today. Um, I'm chuffed to bits that you said yes. Would you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do here in this lovely place? My name's Leslie. It's Leslie Henderson. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I suppose, the founder, if you want, of the Toby Henderson Trust. Yeah. Toby Henderson's my son. He's um, my youngest son. And Toby has autism and a profound learning disability. So it was set up... 20 odd years ago mm-hmm. um, because of Tope and because it wasn't out, out there really yeah. um, and here we are 20 yeah it's actually 20 years anniversary this year this of year? the first for the opening of the first centre um, but I think we formed as a charity in 1999 right. um, but yeah so thousands honestly thousands and thousands of children and families later. And practically, what do you do for those families? What we do now is quite different to what we did do. And I felt quite sad when I walked through these doors today because looking through into like the family room, it's horribly empty. And there's a sign up there that says, this is where the magic happens. And I feel that the magic is not happening here at the minute. And I worry that will the magic ever come? Well. You know, don't don't get me wrong, we are adapting to helping families and probably busier now than we've ever been in terms of support. Mm-hmm. But it's the, the it's the the direct work with the children that has had to be withdrawn and how don't how that will be able to look like when we go back because we what we did and and you know what it, its flagship was, if you want, was uh, early intervention through intensive interaction with children with autism or suspected autism and that just does not bloody mix with social distancing yeah you you've got to intensively interact with somebody mm-hmm. um you've got to be all over them like a rash otherwise yeah. they won't even know you're there yeah um so how that we over these last god what is it 16 17 18 yeah. months we've talked and talked again about how it might look and we might get a bit of a decision and then something else happens and restricts and change. And so I still, at this moment, don't really know how it's going to, how it will change. So at the moment, are you trying to offer support remotely yeah, on Zoom? It's, yes, it's, it's a lot, huge amount of stuff on Zoom. Mm-hmm. I mean, we used to do a lot of training workshops. And actually that... Zoom has really played to that strength because when we were doing the training workshops, 
yeah, we've got two sites, so you've got quite a couple of big rooms. So you can have 20, 30, max 40 people in there, probably in South Shields. But now when we do our webinars, yeah. which are just, they're those, but over Zoom, mm -hmm. you can be reaching 80 people. So that's and it's it that's a it's, a, it's a bonus it's a plus mm -hmm. um and the mums and the dads don't have to get childcare they can just sit have their cup of tea whilst they and they're still engaging and watching it yeah and they're still getting the information they need um so that's been a bit of a plus yeah um the other thing that it's been a plus for in many ways is that um. We've been able to continue the social show social groups. Oh, right. So we have we have mates. We have, now we have we didn't have this before. We have mini mates, mates juniors, mates seniors, and mates stands for Mida Toby's and engaged socially. Right. Um, and then we have siblings as well, sibling superstars, and they, I think, certainly for mates seniors, it's really played to the strength of autism. Right. It really has because you see kids and, and young adults engaging over Zoom in a much more engaging way if there's yeah. such a thing. It's maybe their Rather, natural habitat, it isn't is. it? It's like, yeah, that's it plays to their strength. Mm -hmm. So you see you're seeing the relationships forming that they've known each other for the last three years, but you've never seen them get on as well as oh, what they do great. now. So that, that's been a bit of a plus, but there's lots of other things that aren't pluses at all. <laughs> yeah, um, so many families in, in crisis, really. And I know that crisis means different things to different people, doesn't it? And what might be my crisis is not somebody else's. But you've got such... We've seen and heard of such a lot of horrible things like regression in, in general skills. Yeah. You know, you've got your 13, 14 year olds who are going back to playing with Thomas the Tank and mm -hmm. and all they're doing is they're just trying to look after themselves. They're trying to, you know, these, these are people who thrive on structure, yeah. familiarity, routine, knowing what happens next. <laughs> and that's, that Gone. ain't, that ain't, yeah. that ain't there anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that gets taken out on mams. Yeah. And dads, but takes out largely on mums, who are the primary yeah, carers. They're, in most yeah, cases. they're the ones that um, are always going to and always have been the brunt of any challenging behaviour. Because, and I was for Toby, you know, if he was going to lash out at anybody, he lashed out to me. Because, for as far as his way, his thinking was is that you should be able to sort this out for me. Yeah. How are you know? How are ma'am? You know. So if I give you a bit of a duffing up, you'll you'll sort it. Um, so you've got increasing challenging behaviour, you've got the regression in skills, you've got hugely increased OCD behaviours, again, just trying to get a bit of control, control in their life. Um, a lot of restricted eating. Right. A lot of, um, you know, verging on... Uh, Real disorders, yeah. As eating a disorders, yeah. yeah, yeah, because that you know that's always one thing that, and certainly was one thing that Toby taught me really early on is that if your life is wildly out of control, one of the main things and the first things you can do is restrict, or, or it's what you put in your mouth, isn't it? Mm -hmm. What yeah. you eat and you drink. If you want to have control, you can control that without anybody else, you know, anybody yeah. else's input. So that's you know been a huge one. And then, but the, also for those who are 
probably more able and who can uh, possibly talk it through. Mums mm-hmm. and dads, they can't at this stage, and they can't say when it's... When there's it's, no, no easy answer. There's no, uh-huh. And yeah. our autistic kids and young people, they need answers, they need something that's going to... You know, it's like using a visual support of a now and then board, but you kind of say what's on the then. <laughs> yeah. Boris doesn't know what's no, on the then. No, we all the want the then, mm-hmm. don't we? Yeah. At the moment. So it's been, it's been really hard. I mean, I, I know it's been hard for everybody, but, and obviously I'm going to say it because of the people and the families that I work with, but I think in they, they've had it really tough. Oh, they absolutely. They have really had it tough. Absolutely no respite. Oh, God, no. For them. Well... I mean, what would they have previously, before the pandemic, what would have been the parents and specifically the mums' outlets for a bit of respite for themselves? Being able to go and see their mates, mm-hmm. yeah. Being able to go for a coffee, maybe, with somebody else. Yeah. Being able to talk through with somebody else. How Being able to going. hand the kids over to yeah. trusted family members uh-huh. or grandparents, uh-huh. I suppose. And to be able to get a hug off somebody. Yeah. If things are, times are tough. The one thing I found really difficult on the Zoom is, you know, you had to we had to adapt to using it. And Jesus, I'm sixty three years old. I ain't, <laughs> you know, I'm not yeah computer most literate person. But we did adapt to it. But I found it horrible watching somebody on that screen that was so upset, and you can't even put your hand out to them. Yeah. Because that's what this room was always about. That's why people sat on that settee because. If they got upset, I always had a box of tissues. And because I'm all clear now, I haven't got a box of bloody tissues. <laughs> and and the dog would come and sit on their knee. And, you know, that was a big part of what we did. Providing comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a it's a comforting place to come into. It's not... You, we're not clinical. There's, there's usually a golden Labrador around here. He's not clinical. You get covered. You'll know when you stand up from that city, you're going to be covered in <laughs> be Labrador hair. That's um, fine. But that was a lot of the beauty of it. And it's, I don't know, it's, so, it's had to change. Yeah. But, you know, it's had to change and it's changed successfully, as successful as it could be. Um, and probably, I think, maybe reaching probably four times as many people greater numbers but in a mm-hmm. in, a in a different, different way. way yeah much greater numbers yeah uh-huh and random phone calls as well this a big indicator of how things how difficult things have been is you would take a phone i mean if you go on our website it screams children it screams that we're a children's service mm-hmm. but Phone calls from somebody, I took one from a fella down in London who had a problem with his, um, with his rented accommodation. He didn't know where else to ring. An autistic adult. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I think that's a huge thing that we've seen from it is that there hasn't been adequate signposting mm-hmm. when the face-to-face services have gone. Mm-hmm. Um so it's caused a lot of, certainly in some of the autistic adults mm. who I work with, a lot of panic yeah. and worry mm-hmm. that was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm having a meeting on this afternoon, actually, 
with um, Autism in Mind, who we share the building with at um, the Autism Hub in uh, South Shields. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with Carol over the, over the, the time, but it'd be interesting to hear where they're actually at for going back. Yeah, because uh, something that worries me a little bit is that once all of these social distancing measures have been relaxed and all the rest of it, and the rest of society gets back to normal, what you don't want is to go back 40 years and have the people with disabilities being separated from mm -hmm. the rest of society again. And I think that is a, a danger I'm mm. already hearing from different service providers yeah. them saying, oh, well, we probably won't meet face-to-face, -face, you know, yeah. even this year. Mm. Um, so it's tricky, isn't it, that balance yeah. between protecting health and trying to give them some semblance of normality that everybody else is getting mm -hmm. back. Yeah. And it's all about, I think, the, I mean, everybody's emotional well-being has been affected. It, 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 it couldn't not be. No, absolutely. Uh, with how the world has changed, and now I think it, I think I'm sure that I've said I used to say right in the beginning that, that was this pandemic sort of ruled itself out. It went one of two ways for kids with autism and young people with autism and their families. So at first I used to think, well, for the ones that hate school, it's champion, lovely, <laughs> yeah. lovely, jubbly, don't have to go no more, but. They may also compartmentalise and suddenly mam has got to become teacher. Yeah. And they've got to... These are kids that struggle with doing a bit of homework now and again. There seems to be like a crisis in statutory services provision. There's a lot of people, um, I think, becoming overworked, possibly underpaid. So mm -hmm. we're hearing of um, reports of huge amounts of people leaving. Mm -hmm. Um both NHS and, you know, in other statutory services. So there's, even if parents had access to something before, that's, it's, it's even more limited now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I mean, we talked about respite, and respite hasn't existed for kids with autism, young yeah. people with autism, for a lot of years. So we used to have a, a really, really busy um, play scheme here. Yeah. For years. It was brilliant. In actual fact, Carolyn came to start that off right. when she came back from London. Um, and at one point, it was so, so busy. It was fantastic. And it was wonderful respite oh. for the, the families. Kids got opportunities that they would have never had. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we might have been two to one, three to one, but we were staffed with amazing people yeah. who were really good at what they did and just over the years they could social services cut back and they cut back and they were saying you know you can't have that anymore you can have just one day a week instead of your two days a week yeah. and it got to at the end we were running um a a, a play scheme mm -hmm. which was a ridiculous word for it because it had two kids in it yeah yeah and the criteria for those two kids there was that one actually had leukemia as well as his autism oh. is a learning disability. That's how that's bad, how he qualified. Yeah, that's how bad he had to get to be able to get some respite. So but we were considered to be expensive, but we were we were expensive because we were a quality service yeah, yeah. and they were well looked after, well cared for. They had great opportunities, but I 
I don't think anybody does now. I think in terms of, as we were just saying earlier, you know, respite services for adults still there because a lot of the time they might have elderly parents mm-hmm. who um, are in the social care system and so on, mm-hmm. but their, their children are maybe, their adult children are more... Um, a better fit for respite but for younger children I thought about this so much through the pandemic because none of my three children have additional needs but I needed some respite you know and there was nothing there in terms of being able to pass them over to Mm -hmm. grandma for half a day or whatever and and I thought so much about your parents at that time and how absolutely yeah, exhausted. right. Right at the be. beginning, you know, where you couldn't even. You couldn't. You couldn't. There was no bubble. The bubble didn't exist, did it? No, and also those parents possibly were dealing with kids who were terrified of what was going yeah. on, um. You know, and you don't have the same option and opportunity to rationalise it in the way mm-hmm. that you might do to kids you know? in mainstream education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it was horrible for me with because I live on my own and there's just me in the dark and you know he's he's lovely but he ain't got a lot of chat <laughs> if I'm fair yeah he's great great company but um and I do talk to him which is a bit of a sad old thing to say but well I think most people yeah. do talk to their dogs <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't worry about that yeah um but I could because the bubble didn't exist mm-hmm. so I have two grandchildren but it was more upsetting that they could just come to the window. <sighs> I hated it. Awful. I just didn't want. I didn't want. So I'd rather they didn't do it. I'd yeah. rather they didn't so do it. So confusing for them mm-hmm. to take in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we were talking a little bit earlier before we started recording as well, and and you were happy to to talk about it a little mm-hmm. bit about um, you lost your second mm-hmm. son um, mm-hmm. not long before the pandemic mm-hmm. in a car accident and you then had to go through that mm-hmm. first anniversary mm-hmm. it, I never thought for own. a minute yeah. that that would happen and it was horrible it was absolutely horrible because the bubbles didn't exist then mm-hmm. either so I couldn't even see the kids and, and they couldn't see me because they look at me certainly his daughter she looks upon me as her link to her dad, yeah. because obviously I still live in that family home, which yeah. is it's 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 she's almost surrounded by him when mm-hmm. she's in there, um, and I found I, that was really hard. But it was really it was even worse, you know, going through the uh, anniversary of his funeral. Yeah, that was terrible because all during it was the night before, thinking this is what was happening then. Yeah. Um, and then on the day of the funeral, there was reflections on, I knew what was happening at one o'clock, I knew what was happening at two o'clock. I would have been there now. I would have been, yeah. And you just had the day stretching just, out yeah, in front mm-hmm, of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just me and George. It was awful, horrific. But I got through it. And if anything, it, it taught me what to expect this year. And it will be slightly different this year. Yeah, hopefully with a bit more yeah. mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of comfort and yeah. love around you. Not mm-hmm. that the love wasn't around you, but yeah, you know, physically know. you'll be able to be yeah. with somebody this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um 
it was funny, yesterday we were in the garden and um, obviously I had four boys so they were always, the garden was a big thing for them and it's a big rambling old house with a terrible, well it used to be a lovely garden but it's a, it's a hell of a state now but um, and there was there were always, because there's a lot of trees in there, they were always climbing, climbing trees. trees. And um, Casey likes to do that now. And she was teaching Brooklyn how to climb a tree. And um, But my son was a rope access technician. So he used to um, like do things up at height. So And he used to... There's a, a big tree at the bottom of the garden, which is one of, like a protected tree, that you mustn't cut it. And he used to climb up that tree on his ropes... <laughs> And um, we were in the garden yesterday and we went up the back and there was this sea of forget-me-nots. And I've never I've been in that house for 25 years and I've never seen forget-me-nots. Forget, what are they forget called? Forget-me-nots. Forget-me-nots. <laughs> never seen them in the oh, garden before. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was like odd. It's really, really odd because at the where he's buried in the graveyard, so a beautiful old graveyard, but... One of the first things I noticed when, after he had been buried, now I went to the to visit the grave, is walking out, you walk through, and there's loads of forget-me-nots in the... And I don't know, yeah. did they ever plant them? I don't know. No idea. They're probably one of those self-seeding things. There's like <laughs> an area of it that it, it was a like a carpet of them, but I've never seen them in my garden. Oh, no, I love never. That. And it was right beside the... It was sort of underneath that tree. Yeah. They used to climb, so... I think, you know... You obviously come across as a really strong person. You've been through so much in your life and still managed to set up this fantastic organisation. Um, I wonder how other people who had possibly less to think about in terms of their work would have coped with that situation in that period of isolation. I don't, but there's no options there. Yeah. There's no option. I just kept saying, tell myself, that one thing you can't stop is time passing. I know that time will pass. Yeah. I know that I'm, this is going to be a hard day, but tomorrow will come. Yeah. It will be. Yeah. Um, because you can't stop it. Not happening. And I bet you say that to your parents as well, who you speak mm-hmm. to when mm-hmm. they're having those mm-hmm. types yeah. of days. Mm-hmm. And you also, I think about, you know, you think about things that you can change, and sometimes, but then that it's not always been the case. This time has it that you can change. I always said we can change your environment. You know, like for yes, you can parents, go somewhere yeah, for a walk. But or, yeah. You can't. This time you couldn't really always change your environment. Yeah. Um, but it is the the girls have done such a lot of brilliant work about emotional well being with the parents. So mm-hmm. they really, really have. Um, and the other thing it's taught us is to be a bit more social media conscious. And I mean, I think loads yeah. of companies will uh-huh. have learned that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the I mean, t- for the first year, we went from being seventeen to four, and so, and so you got me in Widgeon, you got one in Gosforth, mm-hmm. one in Blythe, and one in Morbeth. And we were holding together what started off as 400 families at that point. Wow. Um, and it was just, it was full on. Yeah. Full on. Um, 
come come a Friday, I think we were were all on my knees because Exhausted. it was such emotional stuff. Yeah. What you're dealing with, such emotional stuff, and absolutely full on. And when you work from home, you know. You've got nobody to wait out and talk to the dog. I mean, you're sitting beside us all the time, but you know, you haven't, you don't stop for a cup of tea. No, you don't. Nobody to kind of have nah. that mm. light chit chat which yeah. breaks it up. And because when I'm in here, that door is always open. Yeah. I never shut that door. Um, so that as people are coming in and out, I, I'm always there to say hello or they can come in the door whenever they want. Yeah. Um, and I think that was relentless. But and I worried about them, all four of them. About the girls, yeah. Yeah, really did. Do you think in any way being that busy might have actually helped you, though, in terms of your own grieving? Did it give you a, a kind mm-hmm. of something it to take your mind did. to? It probably did. probably did. Um, it's just when, and it's, but the, you know, there's always a point where you do stop thinking about work. Mm-hmm. And you're alone with, like, oh, Jesus Christ, that's what happened again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was such early days. Oh, after, yeah. You know, I think it pro- I'll probably feel like it is always early days. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I remember when there was uh, the day that, or uh, the day after he died, I mean, I'd been up all night and I was... I was really shaking, like, I mean, not just shaking, but really shaking. And um, my oldest son actually, obviously, he was at home. He, because he lives in Birmingham, mm-hmm. and he'd come home. He'd come home, I'd, uh, yeah, for just for a couple of days. And he was staying at my mum's. Um, my mum's in a care home now, but the property's still there. He's staying at my mum's. So I was able to, when the police came to the door, I was able to go and get our dad. Oh, thank goodness. And uh, Jesus. But I remember Dan saying me that the day. Mum, we're going to have to phone the doctor. The doctor's going to have to come out and see you. You can't, you can't be like this. So the doctor came and I remember him saying that um, he'd, he said, well, you obviously you're going to be off work. And he said, you'll need to be off for a, quite a few months. And I went, a few months? I can't be off work that long. <sighs> Ah, surely no, 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 that'll not be me. I'll be fine. He was bloody right, like. Um, but you just because you don't re. I, I've, I mean, I've lost, I've lost my dad. Um, and I feel as though I've lost my mother currently because she's mm-hmm. got dementia. But, um, but it's it was it's nothing like your child. Nothing, never will be. No. And I don't, I don't think it'll. Will it ever go away? Do you just to learn to us? You can't even assimilate it. There's no. I don't. Um, I can't get the right words to say to explain. It's. It's not. Not even. It's not acceptance. I'll never have bloody accepted. No. He wouldn't have accepted it. You shouldn't have to. No. Mm-mm. Um. It's maybe you just get used to the knowledge. Yeah. Don't want it, but you have to get used to it. Mm-hmm. You have to. Whether you want to or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's been but it's been bloody hard for everybody. And well, I, I think that's a generous um, way to to call it. In it's been hard for everybody because I certainly think you and and definitely a lot of the families who mm. you work with will have had a a completely different experience of it. Mm. To um, who would have ever thought? And I keep I keep 
And when we just opened the hope on the 10th of January in South Shields, the Autism Hub, 10th of January. And I remember sitting there with a couple of the lasses saying, have you heard about, about this coronavirus yeah. thing? Coronavirus? No, I remember that. It's on the cruise What's ships. That? That's what everyone mm. kept saying. Isn't it it's some, on the cruise ships. Isn't it something about Japan or something like that? Well, it's not going to bother us. And then, then the next thing I remember is sitting in those chairs again saying, I think the government are going to say something about this. <laughs> Six weeks and we were shut. Yeah. We Was... were temporarily closing. Yeah. Did you get a lot of influx of kind of panic from parents in that? You know that point where where you knew the schools were going to close and you knew everything was going to shut down and you were just waiting for them to see it. You'd see it happening. Buying rice. Yeah, the toilet roll time. <laughs> yeah, the toilet roll. when everybody had kind of seen what had happened in France and Italy and Spain and you knew it was coming and you almost just wanted them to rip the plaster off. Did you see the parents starting to take that in? And do you know what? No. Do you know when we saw it more? Is when. Was it this time last year when there was like a bit of relaxation? Yes, yeah, it was. That's when there was the massive, massive panic. Oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. That was a massive panic of going back. How were the kids going to cope with going back? Mm-hmm. That would would that almost had to get used to not having the routine, and, and that now, all and of now, a whoa, 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 what's going yeah. to happen? And I think at that particular time there were things changing like almost on a weekly basis. Yeah. Because I think at that time we were we'd eased back. I'd unfurled some girls, and we were in here like a couple of days. Um, I remember the first day we walked in. The four we were still the four of us. We decided to meet here, just to be outside, you know, in the garden, mm-hmm. the garden. Yeah. And I I got t-shirts done with mini team tool beyond oh. and we'd, we'd got we'd developed a couple of hashtags and <laughs> one of them because we always used to say the same things to each other i'll speak to you later now i can't remember them both now <laughs> but um yeah so there's two I put the, the hashtags on there and um i remember walking in the four of us standing wide apart in there and just i'd be certain to start to cry yeah it was horrible it was nice but horrible. Yeah. At the same time. And then, but we're all right. After we had went to the garden, had a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> a socially distant selfie. A socially distant selfie. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, just the last thing really that I've got that I wanted to ask you was about how your Toby coped and how your relationship with him changed, if it changed at all, during the pandemic. Toby, Toby's autism. How old is Toby? Toby's 27. So Toby's autism affects him in a way that he's very, these days, as he's become more of a mature man, he's very matter-of-fact. So, poor example probably, but the first time I had some bloods taken, I said to him, this is what we're going to do, Toby. There's going to be a needle and it's going to go in there and mm-hmm. they're going to pull some blood out. And some kids would go, mm-hmm. and Toby was like, that's okay because you just explained to us what's going to happen. So, very matter of fact, it's not necessarily that he understands the words, but he, he's very accepting. 
Okay. Very accepting. It did bother him to start off with, though, that he was, because he's very physically active. He likes to go down every morning. The routine was um, power walk down the bridleway to Seton Delaval Hall and back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, they weren't allowed, we weren't allowed to go out. Mm-hmm. And then they did ease the so he was, it was really wobbly about that. And Tuesdays is always hiking day, so they would go out for a good 10, 15 mile walk. Um, and again, you know, you weren't really supposed to be out. Um, so, but then when they the lifted the restrictions for people with autism, mm-hmm. so they could go out and about, he was, was fine with that. Um, he's, he's very matter of fact as well in the way that as long as his needs are being met, mm-hmm. um, and did you, in terms of practically being able to go and see him, was that always I've seen him three allowed? times. No. I've only so seen him three times. You didn't get to explain everything to him. His staff did, presumably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's got a profound learning disability, so it's, it, his capacity to understand things is, is limited. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is... How has yeah. that affected you, though, only seeing him three times over what has already been mm-hmm. an incredibly difficult year? And mm-hmm. how do you feel that... Should that have been handled dif- differently? Should you have been able to have more access to being able to see him? I think that I had... A f- it was horrible. It's horrible. But, it, you know, you've got to look at the bigger picture of people being safe. Mm-hmm. And it's not as much as you, you want to. And, and there was really one very upset. So the first time I saw him was, he came, they brought him here um, at Christmas and I met them in the car park. And, um, but I could just look at him through the window. But we exchanged presents and uh, that was, oh, it was just a shivering wreck to be honest. That was yeah. really helpful. It was awful. But, and then the next time I saw him was his birthday. So that was the Christmas. His birthday is um, February. And another one of his carers brought... You know, why we came here is that, A, I didn't have to drive very far. Yeah. But also, um, the, it was explained to him that he couldn't come in because Mum was going to work. Oh. So he accepted that. Yeah. Um, so that's how we did it again. Sorry about that. Um, but it's so this time he got out of the car with Claire and they walked over to me and I was just getting these presents out and so he was standing you know they were standing well back which was and I thought that's fine yeah um but it was just oh it was just amazing to see him and but then I walked around to the back of the car to get the other side to get his presents and as I walked past him he went oh just just wanted to touch you Oh. And I'm saying to Claire, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. He touched me, and she said, yeah, "Don't worry about it, you know." Yeah. But I thought, why am I apologising? My son just wanted to reach out to me. Mm-hmm. So and then, but then, what's happened is now I know that I've just checked with them last week what the party line is on seeing him now, and obviously you can only go in like in a six so there's already four in the house Mm -hmm. my worry is that 
I can't drive to Seaton Delavan. At the moment, I can't face. I'll come to and get you and drive you to Blinken Seaton Delavan anytime you want. <laughs> um, You've got no shortage of people who, if you, when yeah. you're ready and if you want to make it happen. And then I wanted to, I'd sort of I found out about going this weekend and I bottled it. So what's that about? I really don't know. Bottled it. I made a lot of excuses up in my head because... Um, Are you worried about taking something into him? To, or to any of the people who he lives with? Or No, it's not, not about it's infection. It's not about that anymore. It's, it's about me being frightened to go out. Mm-hmm. Be going somewhere. Um, and I think I would be alright if I could take the kids with me. But I can't. So um, maybe it's about, I don't know, that mm-hmm. that kind of change in the environment a little mm-hmm. bit and meeting outside yeah. and well, easing yourself I think, in. So the other thing that happened last week is that um, we, it was going to be my grandson's, well, it was my grandson's birthday. He's born on the day my dad was born, um, which was last, on the 10th. And we had it all planned that we're going to have a little barbecue mm-hmm. and in the garden and there's going to be a couple more of like, well, Alex's mates who've got kids really and um, we're going to all be socially distanced and mm-hmm. I've got this goody big, big Asda order coming up burgers and sausages and Capri Suns and God knows what <laughs> dark fruits cider which I've never had one in my life and anyway and then the night before Alice gets a an email from school to say that Brooklyn's got to isolate somebody in his class. So she did a lateral flow test straight away. Um, negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it came back as the kid is positive the next day. So Brooklyn's isolating. She keeps doing the lateral flow tests and he's, he's fine. But This is the thing I think that's playing into a lot of people's anxieties, isn't it? That well, yeah, you just planning for things and investing financially yeah. <laughs> but also investing emotionally in yeah. making that commitment mm-hmm. to doing it and then mm-hmm. the tables turn yeah. and it makes the next attempt mm-hmm. even harder. And then the that same night, my son, from because I haven't seen my son Birmingham, obviously, for all of that time. The last time I saw him was, um, well, well before. No, it was... Was it Toby's birthday before the pandemic, something like that? Um, so I haven't seen Dan, and um, but Dan that night was saying, "I'm going to buy some tickets tonight to come at the weekend, Mum, because I think we're all okay now. You've had both your vaccines. I've yeah. had both my vaccines." Um, and he was going to buy them that night, and then but I managed to ring him to say that because he would. If he comes, he wants to see the kids. Yeah. So he's coming this weekend instead. Oh, that's good. So that'll be nice. Oh, it's little steps, isn't it, for mm-hmm. everyone, really, mm-hmm. but even more so if you've had a really extra tough time of it. Mm-hmm. Smaller steps, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be lovely him coming, but it'll be very difficult to see him go. Yeah. Hopefully, things are going to get more open, not less open. Yeah. And all of those 
catch-ups will become more frequent yeah rather than less yeah yeah oh thank you so so much for right. talking to us you've you've ruined all of us <laughs> <laughs> ruined we've, held, days. we've held it in Woman Up has been funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. The podcasts are presented by me, Sarah Hughes, produced by Worky Ticket and edited by Studio 26.